This is episode 28 of the Rising Man Podcast with Drake Reno. Coming at ya. What is up, risers? Welcome back to the Rising Man Podcast. I'm your host and the creator of this show, Jetty Azuma. And I am so, so thrilled to be sharing this conversation this morning with you today. Coming fresh off of our first ever Rising Man Fire Circle this weekend, it was incredible to get men from literally all over the world. We had guys in Australia, both coasts in the United States. We had men who were waking up at the butt crack of dawn on a Sunday morning to be in circle with each other and to share space. And it was really amazing to create this space for the first time. Stay tuned, everybody, because if you didn't get an invitation to this first Rising Man Fire Circle, there is going to be a fire circle every single month. And starting next month, I'm going to open it up to the entire Rising Man community. So stay tuned for more opportunities to jump into that circle. In fact, the the announcements for the circle and all the updates are going to be happening live in the Rising Man Facebook group. So... If you're not already a member of the Rising Man Facebook group, go over to facebook.com slash groups slash The Rising Man, and you can get yourself an invite today. This is where we are picking apart these topics, where we're exploring some of the intricacies of what it is to be a man, sharing our experiences, sharing our stories in a real-time basis of what we're going through, and the most critical part of this whole Rising Man movement, getting the support from the community of brothers that we haven't had our whole lives. Maybe some of you have, but most men out there, most men who are jumping into the space, haven't had the space to really share what's been going on with them, even with some of their closest friends. So if you're already in the Rise Man Facebook group, stay tuned, keep contributing. I appreciate what every one of you guys is already doing. If you're not in there yet, get an invite, or if you're in there, make sure you send out an invite to a brother of yours that belongs in the Rising Man circle. If you're also listening to these podcasts and you're hearing these messages and you're starting to say to yourself, I'm ready. I'm ready for that next level. I'm ready for that next step. I'm tired of working at a job that I don't love. I'm tired of being in a relationship that doesn't fulfill me to the highest level I know I'm capable of. I'm tired of not getting everything that I want out of my life. I want you guys to hit me up with a message. I want you to send me a message on Facebook. I want you to hit me up with an email, jettyazuma at gmail.com. A lot of times we're just a couple of millimeters away from the bullseye in our lives. And all we need is a few fine adjustments to really feel fulfilled in the way that our heart, our soul is yearning for. So if you're hearing this and you're feeling like you're stuck, you don't quite know what to do next, reach out to me and we will make it happen. All right. So make sure you guys do that. I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. That's what this is all about, is getting every single man across the world to be lit up and ignited in his purpose so that he can serve his family, his community, and the planet on a big, big level. So talking about this week's guest, my man Drake Reno is an internationally certified trainer and master practitioner of neurolinguistic programming, otherwise known as NLP. He's the founder of The Integrated Man, an executive coach, medicine man, speaker. He went from buttoned-up businessman born into an Italian family all the way to the jungles of Peru. My man Drake has been on quite a journey, and I'm so thrilled to share his story with you guys today. Some of the things we speak about on this episode are the difference between speaking and communicating and why it's so important to understand the difference so that we can all feel more expressed and heard. 
We talked about the brand of masculinity that we've inherited that causes us to hide and portray an inauthentic expression, that machismo, the hyper-masculine male that we've all been sold and taught and passed down for many generations. We talked about the toxic masculinity and what it is and how we can rewire this part of our culture so that we pass along a healthier version of masculinity to our children. We finished up by talking about journeying into the jungle for healing, plant-based medicine journeys, and how to blend modern growth and development with ancient healing rituals. My man Drake brought the East Coast, New York, Italian fire to the show today, so I'll leave it at that. Without further ado, Drake Reno. Drake Reno, coming live from the East Coast, my man. How you doing today? I'm doing awesome, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. For those of you guys who are listening right now, we were just talking about how when I interview guys from the East Coast, it pulls out a certain kind of energy for me. It brings me back to my roots. So I can already feel the energies lifted up in here, man. I'm excited for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even hear my accent coming out. It's like, where did that come from? <laughs> Don't let it come out too much. People will turn, people will turn it off. <laughs> I know, I know. I tell everybody that the fact that I was born and raised in New Jersey is my dirty little secret. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everyone's always surprised to hear that. People say, you know, um, I can only hear the New York a little bit in you. And I said, that took a lot of work. <laughs> it took a lot of work, you know, just yeah. not, not, for it not to be too much, you know. I was in just sales. Water it down. Well, I was in sales my whole life. So, so you don't want to be on the phone dealing with a sale and sound like you're calling from Staten Island too much. Yeah, man. Excellent. Well, you have a uh, very compelling story, your journey into becoming the man that you are today and what you offer the world in terms of service to other people. So I'm really looking forward to jumping in to that with you. But let's start off where I always start off with my guests. And that's with this question I really love. What is the difference between a boy and a man? Very first thing that comes up for me is exactly what we just said, being uncompromisingly forthright, right? Owning, owning yourself, your words, and your energy under all circumstances, even when it's not easy. I think that's the big difference. Mm. Yes, man. That's something that has been coming up in different forms or fashions in the responses from my guests. And when we talk about a boy not having the ability to be uncompromising or threat, what do you think that comes from? Uh, I mean, I could talk a lot about that because the, the, the gift and the curse that, the, of my story is I come from a, a wonderful family that was a huge blessing and they had pretty much zero communication, like, like zero, like it was just unbelievable. There's a default mode of, of anger. And so communication was not really welcomed. Let's put it that way. And I think that kind of stuff is conditioned in and, and it's handed down from a generational toxic masculine archetype, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. man. And there's a difference between communication and talking. <laughs> we both come from Italian families and Italian families talk a lot, but not communication, right? What's the, what's the difference between talking and communication? Yeah. Well, you could talk at somebody and they, you, you could become really good at that. I, I used to laugh and make jokes that if you ever, if you ever looked at one of my, uh, if there was ever a video, one of my family gatherings, you know, there would be, you know, six or eight of the adults around a table and they have mastered the art of cross-talking. <laughs> so wherever two are, they would always communicate with whoever is across from them and the other people across from them, which would create this kind of soup of voices and words. And it always baffled me. I, I just, 
you know, I, I, that could only last about one minute and then I'd have to get up and situate myself where I could have direct communication. And I seemed to be the black sheep in the family because I couldn't really understand how to do that. And mm-hmm. from a family who become masters at the art of cross-talking because, you know, you could really just talk at people and receiving back or being present to what other people are experiencing. Sensory acuity is really an art form. Mm. And if you're talking at somebody... Yeah, you're not really paying much attention to that. So why did you recognize that that was important to you to learn how to communicate and not just talk at people? Because I, I had the gift and the curse of, of growing up in an environment where I, it just was not welcomed, you know? It, and I say it like that, and it's a little, I guess, cliche, but I mean, it's really true because it's the core of, of all of my suffering as a child growing up was never feeling safe to express, never feeling safe to speak, never feeling safe to be as, as ever I was because it would always be met with anger. Mm. And so I learned and was conditioned at a really young age that if I, if I showed anything in any sense, it would be, you know, it would be, it weren't violent, you know, like I didn't get beat, thank God, but, you know, it was, it was aggressive, you know, it was, it was, a, it was aggressively shut down. Mm-hmm. And so what that created is this thing inside of me of, of wanting to, to be able to express myself. But then ultimately what that led to, and, and this is the blessing side of it, was it led to me wanting to create space to allow other people to do that because I don't want to create that experience for anybody else in my life. Mm-hmm. It was a slow process of wanting to create space for other people that I was encountering to have that safe space be felt. And it actually started when I was a really young kid. I used to do this thing that nobody nobody really understand. I was about eight years old and there was a handicap home, but like severely handicapped. I was gated in and, and whatnot. And, and, and each, each day at a certain time, the kids, because it was kids and the kids would come out and they would have their outside time, their lunchtime, whatever it was. And I used to go there and I used to just kind of stand at the gates and just do this little eye contact thing it took 40 years of my life to realize what I was doing, but I was starting to cultivate that space. There was something I was getting in creating that for them. And there was something intuitively I knew that they needed, they must have needed, you know, because they couldn't communicate. Mm. I never understood it until I actually was in the jungle in Peru doing really deep medicine work. And it, it all came together for me. I was like, wow, Mm. really? And that's, to me, that's the part of communication that's typically missing is the willingness to listen, the willingness to see whoever it is you're communicating with in order to truly be seen. And I think that that's something that comes up, not just in a, Italian culture, or Italian families, but there's almost a resistance to letting yourself be seen. A lot of things we hear about these days, especially when it comes to men, is putting on a mask <laughs> and letting a certain part of ourselves be seen. So what do you think about, what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are, you asked me a minute before we started this interview, is there anything that's coming up for you actively that you want to talk about? And I said, let's just see if it comes up naturally. We're two minutes in and here it goes. That's what's, that's what's coming up for me. And it seems to be like an, an ongoing theme. You know, I, I, the more I connect with the story and the experience and my role in it as the recipient and then as the, as the creator of space, it doesn't seem, there's a piece of me that feels like it should be resolving. Right. All right. So let me let me see if I can put this in a way that's really gonna really gonna make sense. So, the problem and the challenge that I find with men today in my work is always happening within me. Everything that I'm doing is always happening within me. There's never a disconnect between that, and it's been like that since day one, which is how I got into this work. It's always been a reflection of where I was in the progresses and mm-hmm. 
experiences I was having. And what I find to be the biggest challenge for men today is the same one that I still am mostly challenged with in my own personal experience, which is the inability to be with exactly that, right? So I will be in a conversation with someone, whether it's a client or whether it's a personal conversation, and I'll have that feeling, I'll have that experience, and I'll go through it just the way anybody else would, right? I'll have that same set of programming, reactions, responses, physiological, like that little tension in my stomach and, you know, the internal dialogue starts going. I, I have the same pattern. It doesn't go away because I've acknowledged it or because I've done work on it. So I think, you know, tying back into the difference between a boy and a man is being able to see that and own it and be okay with that. It's like, okay, I'm experiencing this right now. Then having the courage and vulnerability to be able to speak it in present. And I think what the biggest challenge that I see that's universal with men today is that conditioning that's really generational and passed down when it comes to like leaders and men who are high performers, they are so deeply conditioned not to be able to, 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 to be authentically in that moment. Right? So as a coach, I'm twice as much expected not to have that experience, let alone speak it. Mm. And what I find is this is a real thing that needs to be addressed, I think, for us. And, Jetty, I'll tell you the truth. I really think the universe brought you, Man Cave, the Pack, Gid, Preston. As I'm sitting back looking at this entire experience, like you and that whole movement came into my life right as that was becoming so crystal clear that this is not only something that I experienced and my clients experienced, but this is a this is almost like a phenomenon. This is something that a lot of men are really experiencing. And when you get men who are coaches or leaders or who are givers of some sort, it becomes twice as off limits to be able to step into that. Like right now I'm having that pattern. I'm having that experience and I'm feeling really defeated internally by my own patterning of the fact that you're not hearing me right now. Mm. And it's mind boggling. And, and for, for men who have experienced depression, which I have multiple times throughout my life, as a matter of fact, I reached out to you after you had that podcast with the guy who, who does the, the, the dance. It was mm-hmm. Yeah, with Leah. I was moved to tears. I was literally, mm-hmm. literally moved to tears because that had resonated so deeply with me. It's like we are so conditioned to not be authentically with that. And then as coaches, I think what this is a big, big misconception that as coaches, because we've done the work when, when, when it's authentic, that it lessens or it resolves. Going back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, it doesn't always resolve. And, mm-hmm. and that's okay. And I think it's important for us as men to be able to start owning that as opposed to putting up this facade, like I've done my work, I'm an authentic man and I'm integrated and I'm all these things. So I no longer experience these other things. And if you have, great, but there's a lot that haven't. There's a lot that that's a facade. And I think that that's that's a a place of healing that's important for us to reach. Yeah. And that, that goes back to this guru phenomena or guru complex is that when you reach a level of teaching, of instruction, of facilitating other people on their journey, there's this belief or expectation that you need to have it together. That if I don't appear as though I have it together, people won't find me to be valuable. And I found just the opposite. (laughs) In fact, I found that the inverse is actually more attractive, that the more vulnerable and transparent I can be about my experience, the more attractive it is because it's real, because it's genuine, like you said, and people can connect to that. So if I'm a man looking for another man to lead me or for, for something that he has that I want, 
what is going to be the most attractive thing. And I think it's what you said in the beginning. It's what we've all been longing for since we were at a young age is to really be seen, to really let ourselves be seen and understood for who we are and not some facade or mask that we have to feel like we have to put on. It's such a huge step for us as men to reclaim sacred masculinity is that. Mm-hmm. It's that. It, there's been this for so many years, you know? Mm-hmm. How hard can I beat my chest? How hard can I flex my biceps? That sort of, you know, archetype, which is great. It's definitely a part of, you know, of, of masculinity, but it's a part. <laughs> it's not the whole thing. Yeah. And, and the rest has been systematically eliminated. Yeah. Don't be a girl. How many times do little kids hear this? Don't be a girl. You know, don't, don't, don't respond like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And their condition and the pattern to not, not connect with the other emotions and the other energies they have, which are also feminine energies. Yeah. And man, that's, I mean, that's, that's been the story of my life. It's been incredible. So it's like when I grew up in, in the city, I think a lot like your story, you know, that violence and, and, and gangs and drugs and, and everything. And, as a young kid, I didn't naturally, you know, as a young kid, you're just naturally vibrating, right? It's, it's not so much thought. And I just naturally didn't fit in with that stuff. And I always knew it. And it was always very obvious and very clear. And I never really understood why. Again, once I got to the, to the medicine work and was able to start really unpacking that stuff, I was able to see it's because I was really strongly connected with my feminine energy. And it was not okay in that environment. It was not welcome. It was not okay. You know, like... Before you go farther into that story, let me ask you a question. So, so we have context between your definitions of masculinity and femininity. What would you say is the difference between masculine and feminine? What is the difference? Yeah. Oh. Or is, maybe is there a difference? And if so, how would you make a distinction between the two? Oh, man. I mean, I don't know that there's one answer to that. I think I could describe how I know those energies and how I am behaving or how I'm responding. I don't know that I could define them because I think it's very subjective, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not for me to, to really define, but I know that when I am in my masculine, I'm leading with my masculine, I'm getting it done. I'm figuring, I'm figuring it out. I'm proactive. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to ma- manipulate and make things work, right? And, and manhandle stuff. <laughs> it's funny, you mm-hmm. heard, right? Manhandle, that's what came out, right? Manhandle stuff. Like, what do I need to do? And then when I'm, when I'm leading in, in more of my femi- feminine energy, I think I'm, I'm leaning back, more analytic. I'm feeling more, you know, I'm, I'm less in the mind, more in the heart. And that's why I think they're very important. Yeah, they're different and they're very important. And they're a balance between the two is really the idea. It's not a matter of one being right or another or a definition of one. It's just a matter of having the balance between both and having both at, at access. Mm-hmm. That's how I identify with when I'm leading with my masculine or my feminine. I don't, I don't know that that would be anybody else's definition, but that's just, you know, I, I can identify when I'm, when I'm in one uh, leading role. Yeah. And I ask these questions to my guests because they're, they're trap questions. You know, they, they get you speaking from a place where it's, it's not an easy question to answer. It actually, it's a polarizing question to, dis, to distinguish between one or the other when really we're, we're all human. And we all possess these different elements and aspects of ourselves. So it's a little bit of a, of a trap question. And it also reveals how you hold those two things, whether you hold them as separate or united. And so I think that's what we've see is our culture is po- very polarizing. We tend to compartmentalize men as masculine over here, women as feminine over here, versus seeing each one of us as humans that have a broad spectrum. And we can... We, in at different points on that spectrum absolutely and 
I think that's the root of what you're talking about here. When you use the word um, toxic masculine, I think that's just how we've held masculinity in this one polarized perspective. Right. Right. It's one, so, it's one dimensional. Yeah. And so actually let's like, let's dive into that. Cause I was reading through some of your stuff and I, and I saw you use the word toxic masculinity and I don't know if it's just popping up more and more, if it's just catching my attention, but for some reason I have a problem with that word or that phrase toxic masculine. So can, why don't you define it and then explain where you're coming from with that, with that phrase? Sure. And, and I can, I can, I can tie it into what was so moving about what, what is his name? So I'm not so ambiguous. The Leon. Leon. Yes. And this is what I loved so deeply about it. Why it brought tears to my eyes because it was an expression of that in a non-toxic way. Right. Mm. So when I, when I, when I say that, what I'm referring to is this, it, it's an inherited thing, you know, and it, it comes from how men who as boys, we are around set up the model, right? So we're all modeling what we have around us. When I refer to the toxic masculine archetype, I'm talking about the vast majority. I'm not saying everyone has, has experienced this or, or has, has accessed this to such a large degree. I just happen to. You know, what defined uh, the strongest man was the most shut down emotionally, mm. you know, you know, like I, I beat this guy up. Like it just, it just, it, for me, in my experience, it was violence. It was lack of emotion. It was lack of communication. Right. So it was like, you if you want to talk, you're acting like a girl. And that was literally phrased. I mean, I've heard it a million times as, as, as a kid being said around me and even to me. And that's toxic. That's really, really toxic because it's teaching a boy that he can only have that one dimension of being leading with what is truly masculine. And this is what I loved about what Leon does is it, it allows for that space. I mean, literally beating his chest, literally screaming, but in a very healthy way, an expression in that moment. And representative and symbolic of respect and love to other men beautiful not in the sense of like shutting someone else down from what it actually is for that boy because that becomes conditioned and patterning and then it, and then it gets passed down from generation to generation and again this is where all the medicine work came in because i wasn't able to see this stuff until i was deep in my work with the medicine but it's real. Mm-hmm. And that's what I call toxic masculine archetype. That's just what I call it. Yeah. And, and I understand where you're coming from with it as well. I've just taken, I, I take sometimes take issue with some of these terminologies we're using. A lot of people are also saying being in a conscious relationship. And to me, I'm like conscious relationship. To me, it's all just different uh, levels or intentions behind how, how we're showing up. So to be in a conscious relationship or not, to me, that's just like, well, that's just a different way of describing where you're at with that person that you're connecting to. And to me, I would see something like toxic masculinity. That's just a man who hasn't woken up yet or a man who has been, like you said, exposed to so many influences that don't serve the culture of masculinity that we're, that we're aiming towards. A hundred percent. And that, and that's, and that's, that's, that's why the, the, for me, the description, you know, works because it's not necessarily uh, as voluntary mm-hmm. as what we're doing right here, right now. You know, we set the intention to sit and talk and put it out there on, on Facebook and out to the world and see like, what can we do to unearth some stuff? Right. And, and, and what Leon does is like, get together. Let's, let's express this energy. Let's express this part of it. So you don't feel like it's bottled up in other parts of your life. So that's very intentional. Right. 
mm-hmm. where where what I call toxic masculine archetype is very much inherited. You know, it's yeah. it's in, it may not inherited necessarily just from family, but it's modeled, definitely modeled. Right. You know, it's what we see around us. And my environment as a kid was just one hundred percent that. I mean, there was you know people on street corners and. The, the bragging about how their fathers and their fathers and their fathers all hung out and drank and gotten fights and got arrested on the same street corners. And that was cool. That was what created this, this hierarchy of who, you know, who represented the strongest man. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the system. I mean, yeah. Toxic is the only word I could come up with for that. Well, and and I think it's great because like at the end of the day, we're all using language and I know what you're talking about. You're just using a word that for whatever reason, lights something up in me and gets my attention. Mm-hmm. But the work that you're speaking of and, and what you do with the men that you work with, it, you're, you're aiming towards the integrated man. So if I think of the opposite of that, it's a disintegrated man. That means there are fractions of this man in different parts of the room, and he's choosing to go hang out in one area of the room, one corner of the room with that one dimension of who he is. And a lot of the work that I've seen is there are so many different dimensions, so many different moves, so many different characters and games that we can bring to the table as men, as humans, but specifically in this conversation as men, depending on what the conversation calls for. And I've mentioned this in some other conversations and stuff that I've done is that my wife doesn't always need me to be the rigid, firm rock to make sure that she feels safe. A lot of times she needs me to be the soft, lighthearted gentleman. And more dimensions that we're embracing, the more integrated parts we have to ourselves, the more successful we'll be in our lives, right? Right, a hundred percent. Yeah, and I think that I think that's I think that's the the the, the direction and and the movement that we're you know we're seeing that you very much represent. You know, you you resonated with me immediately. You know, when I saw you with your kid and with your wife, and then I saw the work you were doing, and you know, when I saw what you were doing with the kids, uh, that project, I was just like. Like, yeah, this is it. You know, this is, this is what it's about. And, and that's, you know, I guess that's kind of where integrated men kind of comes from. You know, it's about all those parts, you know, mm-hmm. having them all there. You know, I have, I have a piece of me that was modeled from the toxic masculine archetype. It's a piece of me. And I've consciously decided to grow and expand past that. Mm-hmm. And that's my constant ongoing work. And I think that's any man's constant ongoing work, right? I mean, that's all we can do. <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? I find that men who are not familiar with this conversation, like you and I, we can speak on a level that a lot of, a lot of men probably don't ever venture into because they just haven't had, like you said, maybe they've grown up in an environment where speaking about this stuff is gay or it's woo woo or something like that. Uh But I think the best part about being in this work is that there's always an invitation to be a part of a conversation of what other elements or aspects of yourself are there that you haven't been living into? What parts of yourself have you not allowed to see the light of day? And then for what reason? And that at its core is what transformational coaching is. <laughs> that's and, that's, and that's why I resonated with you instantly, right? Because I saw that message coming through you. And that's why, you know, like I have a belief that 97% of personal development is absolute bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a package being sold to someone that is sellable and there's a market and all this stuff. And that's all great. I mean, I'm a businessman. It's fine. But, you know, being willing to do really do that work internally within and then willing to show up with, you know, how many times I have talked with clients who have told me expressly they have never considered the balance of masculine and feminine energy in their life ever. They have never, the thought has never crossed their mind. I think I was talking to um, 
to Kate, which is how I connected with you. And she was like, yeah, that, that's, you know, from a woman, for, for a woman to hear that is just mind blowing. It's, it's mind blowing for men who think about it. <laughs> you know, men go their entire life and never have the thought that there is a feminine energy within them and that there is a possibility of creating a different experience in their life in balancing it. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I encounter a man who has never thought of the possibility of having these different elements to himself, I get excited. I get fucking lit. I'm like, dude, let's go. <laughs> because I know that anything that happens from that point after that conversation is going to be illuminating. And for someone to know that they have so many different elements to themselves, they haven't awakened yet. It's like, let's go, baby. Yeah. We're starting. We're starting brand new. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those few things in our work, right? Like I, I love identifying those things. So it's like one of the few things in our work that just like you said, like once you crack that door open, <laughs> I mean, look out, right? I mean, it could really, really go. So another thing that I, that I get a lot in this work is uh, the first time a person truly grasps the idea that their internal dialogue is not actuality. Mm. It's such, so it's such Talk a- Talk about that. Talk about that. People need to hear that more. Say, that, say it one more time and then tell me more about it. Okay. So, so I'll tell you in a, in a mini story. So I was coming out of a, a session that I was doing. I was in a taxi in, in New York and, and the guy, you know, I always just love having conversations with people randomly. So I was, I was all lit up. I was in states. So uh, I started striking up a conversation with the guy and I'm sharing my experience because I'm just super excited and I'm, I'm lit up. And he said, so, you know, so w- w- what's the one most, you know, what's the one thing you can give me right now? And I was like, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Like we're such a, we're such an immediate culture, you know, it's like in this 10 minute cab ride, how can you change my whole life for free? It's like, okay, <laughs> challenge accepted. So I started thinking and I'm like, what, you know, just going back into to my experience with the group. And I thought to myself, well, there was this one guy you know, and, 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 and I was talking about his experience and, and, and asking him really powerful questions to find out where they were coming from. They were all obviously coming from his internal dialogue and then pointing out how they're not necessarily matching what's happening. And then that moment, you know, I think uh, uh, the, the aha moment where they go, you know, and then from that moment where a person realizes their internal dialogue does not necessarily match actuality for the first time, that is a truly transformative moment because prior to that, it is an assumed thing that whatever's going on in their head is actual. It's real. It's what's happening. And so the, so, so the metaphor, like taking a fish out of a fishbowl and then dropping the fish back in the fishbowl, that fish can never see anything again the same ever. And I liken that to medicine. Like, well, what's medicine like? Same thing. It just changes everything from that point forward there's nothing that can ever be the same the moment somebody realizes for the first time in their life their internal dialogue the narration of their brain is not it's not actuality yep yep and exactly what you said right there in in transformational work or in growth and development work the one of the terminologies is limiting beliefs beliefs we have about ourselves that are limiting the possibilities that we allow ourselves to see and that that fishbowl reference is beautiful i love that one i haven't heard that before in in men's work we also call it believing your own bullshit is <laughs> because the, the story that you tell yourself that you'd believe over and over and over again is just the story that you're believing. It's not necessarily what's so. Right. And self-hypnosis. I mean, this is where NLP has really been really powerful for me. And the way I think I, I need systems, it's just, it's just me, you know, like I, I, if something's happening, I need to understand what is the system at work. And, and I had this moment, Tony Robbins did, uh, I was at date with destiny 
at the I'm Not Your Guru video. Mm -hmm. It was actually at that event. I'm in the video like three times, so this is all documented, which is kind of cool. But uh, it was the first time that I had really had a powerful NLP experience done, uh, procedure done to me, and it blew it it fish out of the fishbowl, blew me out so much. I came home and gave away all my stuff to homeless shelters and bought all my ticket to Peru, and they'd come back for three and a half years. So it was like it was a real true transformation. And in that, I immediately needed to know, well, okay, like it's great that this guy does this great powerful work and, you know, he's a billionaire and millions of people and all this other stuff. But what's he actually doing? I need to know, right? And so that's when I learned about NLP and I learned about Dr. Grinder, co-creator. And I went on a mission um, around the world to go train directly with him. And, and I was certified from day one to the end directly by Tony's teacher. Mm. So, and that's what I love. I guess the point is that's what I love about NLP is it gives a system to all that stuff. So like at the end of the day, what is a limiting belief? At some point you have had a, a moment where making a decision that something is the way it is served you. And then you continue to have that even though it has not served you past that. So you've effectively eliminated other possibilities. And, and when, you, when you can go in and dive in through the language of it, down into the belief using the neuro-linguistic programming of questions to get into the unconscious structure of it, man, it's fucking powerful. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think that women are often considered, or you know, masculine women or feminine women, whatever you want to describe it as, are often considered to be the better, more effective communicators. You know, just as a, as a broad stroke, we see women are labeled as the ones who talk where men, we kind of internalize and hold it in. So I found that NLP and that type of work was really valuable because as men, learning that language can be broken down in a logical and strategic way as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, it speaks way to the, the masculine. It speaks to the masculine. Exactly. 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 So that's so for anyone out there, especially you know, the men who are listening to this, if you haven't dove into NLP or neurolinguistic programming and that world, it's definitely something you should check out. You should definitely check it out with Drake because he's obviously a man who has a lot of experience with this. Um, and so I, I consider that that transformational world, the NLP world, as alternative as it is, it's actually becoming a little bit more available to people. More, I, I hear people that I wouldn't normally expect to have listened to Tony Robbins or check some of that stuff out or starting to investigate. But the world of plant medicine, of shamanic journeying, and you know the reason that you went to Peru for three and a half years, I still find that that's something that has a mystique to it and a lot of misinterpretations. So would you speak a little bit to your journey about going to Peru, some of the experiences with plant medicines and what that was all about for you and what it awakened in you. Sure. And so does NLP for that matter. So before we transition into medicine, uh, I would definitely say for anybody who's listening and this opens up that door to that path, um, NLP, unfortunately, like a lot of things in personal development, unregulated and falls into that 90% category of bullshit. And there's a lot of it out there and it's a shame. And this is, this is kind of why I decided to do what I did. So when I left, I decided I wanted to go learn with masters and I wanted to understand what was the process that happened to me. And then I wanted to unwind and deconstruct all that I was not, right? And I understood at 40 years old, there was a lot of that. <laughs> There's a lot of energetics and there was a lot of structure that was there, you know, through the, these incredible experiences I've had, I've been blessed to have in my life. And I, I understood that there was a lot of structural stuff and, and, 
intuitively I knew that there was really only one way for me at least to be able to deconstruct that stuff. And that was to go into the jungle and, and, and find a, a proper healer and, and do the work with, with Pachamama and, and plant medicine. And then secondly, find the man who actually was the genius who created NLP and go learn from him, no one else. So like a true jungle healer and the guy who created it and no one else. And most people would never go to that extreme and I get it. But the thing about it is, it's like they're so, and this is, this is why I say, and it's kind of a little bit, I don't know. Some people find it even a little bit aggressive, but it's just my experience. There's a lot of bullshit out there. You know, there's a lot of like NLP people who got certified in a weekend online and they're out there calling themselves NLP teachers. And it's, 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 it's a, it's an atrocity. Really. Mm. You can't learn NLP online. You can't, it involves human interaction and experiences more poor and things that cannot be done completely online. Anyway. So your question was, about going to the jungle with medicine. So when I had that moment, the fish came out of the fishbowl and I had seen as a young kid go into that home, there was something really unique about me as a person and, and in my life that involves serving. And I was able to see going all the way back before I was able to even understand it. And consistently, it was one of the few consistents throughout my entire life. And when I was in that moment, I, I was afforded the ability to look at my life from a completely dissociated point of view, which, you know, you can do consciously to some degree, but I was fully like looking at my life like I was looking at your life, like totally disconnected. And in that moment, I asked myself the question, well, what if that's it? Like, what if that is it? You don't go back. Like, that's it. Long and short, A to Z, it's done. How did you do? And the answer was I failed. And the reason I had failed is because I had realized at that moment, looking back over 40 years, all the ups and downs and crazy things that I was really always had in my heart to be able to serve and to be able to create this thing. And I never fully stepped into it. And that was a, that was a conflict. It was, I, was, I was unwilling to accept. And that's what led to the drastic response of giving away all my stuff. It's okay. Not another moment, you know, like the leverage had been there. Like not one more moment while I live my life like that, while I still have a chance to do something different. So I said to myself, I had built up a couple of businesses. I had residual income. I mean, I really, really got to the point of everything I'd worked for my whole life. So, well, I got those resources to now go create something new. And I made the commitment I was going to use every single bit of it. And so that's why everything had to go. And I bought the ticket. And, and the idea was, you know, to go work with masters and to learn whatever it was I needed to learn to stand in my truth. And the way that I needed to do that was to do my own personal work and deconstruct all those systems and things that I had, you know, go through the process of unknowing, right? All the things I thought I knew about who I was and what I was, I had to unknow all that stuff. And that's not easy. And from what I understood, mm -hmm. plant medicine is the most powerful way to do that. And again, that uncompromisingly, well, then if I'm going to do it, I need to do it proper. Like no, no neo shaman, no, no bullshit people. I want to go to the jungle and I want to find a proper healer. So I bought the one-way ticket to Peru and I signed up with uh, Dr. Grinder to start doing my training. And when I got to Peru, it was really interesting because at this point I was in, I was in full surrender for the first time in my whole life, Jetty. You know, like I, you know, at that point I had been total right-brained and, and starting to realize like, wow, that's not, hasn't really quite served me. 
so well because now at 40 years old or 41 years old, I think I was, you know, if I had, if it had all ended right now, I would look at my life and say, I failed. Fuck. <laughs> so it's like, I got I to I come up with a new strategy and something's got to be kind of powerful and all inclusive. And so when I got to Peru, I knew about the, about the, the medicine tourism that happens there. You know, ayahuasca has become kind of a fad and a trend and just the way NLP, there's lots of people putting on, you know, Peruvian clothes and serving medicine. And, you know, they have a couple of experiences and they think that they can serve it. And it's really, it's an atrocity. Some of these shaman trained for 30, 40 years before they're given the blessing to serve medicine. And I wanted no parts of that. I wanted to only be with an authentic, you know, true healer. But I had no idea what that meant. And I was in surrender. So I trusted for the first time in my life. So I landed in the sacred Valley. I had no idea where I was staying. I didn't know a single person. I knew nothing. I found the hostel. I stayed there. And for about a month I had probably, I mean, in, in the Valley, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's like ayahuasca opportunities are a dime a dozen, like three a day, four a day. Like you just, it, it's everywhere, right? Cause it's legal. And they know people are coming there traveling because they know about the tourism and they're, they're capitalizing on it. So it's like, I knew I didn't want to be a part of it, but it becomes very difficult to distinguish authentic and not when you're there for the first time. Very, very difficult. And, you know, the universe blessed me with a brother uh, who's still my, my, my closest friend to this very day. And, and we both landed in the same hostel. He did the same thing from Australia, which was another thing I loved about your uh, thing. You were talking about your friends in Australia. Mm-hmm. My friend's also from Australia. And we, we had yeah. that same connection, same thing. <laughs> anyway, so we landed and, and he was like, you know, you'll know, you'll know, you'll know. And he really helped me stay centered and focused. And then one day after it had to have been 100 maybe more opportunities to sit with the medicine and really going through like this whole thing. Like, is it right? Is it not right? Blah, blah, blah. And then one day I, 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 I jumped online and, and there was a, a group that I was a part of. And uh, I saw a thing that Maestro Manuela from the Shipibo tribe was going to be passing through. And I read about her and she's fifth generation healer medicine woman. She was six years old. She's now 70. She's a grandmother. She's people healer, direct Incan lineage. And I was like, that is it. That is what I came for. And I love the fact that it was a woman. There was something about the fact that it was a grandmother that really resonated with me. I don't, I don't, I didn't know what it was, but so I click, 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 like in half a second after a month of like inner turmoil is I booked three consecutive ceremonies within a third of a second with no thought. I just knew instantly. And then uh, I basically just did all my work with, I'd say 90% of my work. I tried some different things, but it was that family and that lineage that really resonated with me. And I ended up doing a dieta in the jungle where you live there for about a month and you're doing medicine morning and night and you're on a really strict diet and you're not, and it was, it was profound. It was really, really profound because what the medicine does is it gets you into your bones, into your cellular, like what has been passed down in your genetics with this stuff, you know, not just the conditioning, but the actual genetics of it. I had a skeletal purge, which I had no idea what this was until I actually had it. But purging they say is a very beautiful thing, right? It's the medicine she's removing the stuff that only, you know, the medicine can do. And, and I, again, that same brother taught me that. And it was, it was beautiful that I got to understand that because I welcomed it. And then one night I had this experience where I was curled up in a, in fetal position and trembling, literally like I was having like a seizure from head to toe for like 20 minutes. 
I found out afterwards of like that's a, that's that's when the medicine is going deep into your bones and the lineage stuff that's not conditioning that's actually in your your flesh and your blood. She's removing that stuff and it didn't I didn't understand it, but the more I sat with it, the more it really seemed right to me, not on a conscious level, but if I felt I felt that it was something physiological about understanding that, and uh, it was by far one of the most beautiful experiences of my life because I believe that that's what it was. So that's what I think is beautiful about medicine. I think medicine really gets you, it really gets you there and, and it really cleans out a lot of that stuff. And it's not easy and it's not fun often, but it's deep work. If somebody's called to it, it's great work. And it's a tremendous story that you share and I can't help but see the through line between what we were speaking about in the beginning and where you ended up. And my, my thought is because I've, I've experienced medicine journeying as well and, and sitting in ceremony and all that has resonated for me also. And that that is one way by which we can come to see our true selves and to strip away the things that don't serve us. Just like NLP is another tool. And what you described to me is what I would call a rite of passage. It's what I would say is the man or the individual, the human choosing to step across the threshold and embrace the pain, the challenge, the struggle, the discomfort in order to really understand who he is on the other side of it. And so it's it's great to hear your experience of going into the jungle. And that was your that was your journey. You you dove into the unknown. You surrendered. Surrender is a huge part of that for me as well. Mm-hmm. And you were open to receive whatever was waiting for you on the other side. Yeah. And I think that if every one of us can listen for what that journey is to us uniquely. For me, it was hearing a voice inside of me that said, living in New York is not working right now that down and travel across the country with your backpack and do that for as long as you need to, you know, and, and, and answering that call, not just having that idea and saying, Oh, maybe someday I'll get to it. Cause I know there's a lot of people hearing this that are saying, wow, I've really had this deep visceral voice telling me to do something and I haven't taken action yet. That's the thing. That's right. That's right. So that's right. And what happens is like once we start to do the work and we disconnect from the film reel of the internal dialogue, we start to create some quiet space to hear that deeper voice, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like if we're, if we're caught up, if we're caught up in the in the film. Yes. You're not you're not yeah, listening to the deeper stuff. Yeah, and, and the blend of NLP and some of that more uh, masculine oriented work where we can we're speaking to the logic of it. Absolutely. Right? Versus the more natural, creative medicines of the earth, they're all there at our, at our disposal to serve us and becoming who we're meant to be. So Absolutely. And the funny thing is, like, people always say to me, how do you combine NLP with medicine? Never heard that. I, was like, I didn't intentionally do that. <laughs> yeah. I was just doing my NLP work and I was doing my medicine work and I had no, there was no connection other than the fact that I was doing both of them. And it was during the dieta, actually, at the end of the at the end of the month that I was there, that it really clicked for me. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is one thing happening, right? So it's like that that masculine energy of needing to understand the system. Once I felt like I had a grip <laughs> on the system, that allowed me to fall back into the surrender, more into the feminine of being and they're very connected for me. You know, they're very, very, very connected for me because for me, I needed to have that structural understanding of what was playing out on the surface in order to be able to give myself the permission to go in. Yeah. Yeah, man. And like I said, you know, your, your journey, it was uniquely your journey. And I'm sure there's many men 
who are attracted to what you have done because it speaks to something genuine within themselves. And there's other men out there who have a different approach. It's all, it's all our way of finding our true selves, I think. So hundred percent. Um, yeah. So I, I love your story, man. It was a great story. I, I know we could go on for at least another couple hours. So let's start to uh, put a bow on. <laughs> <laughs> and we will. We'll do a follow-up at some point because we got a lot more to talk about, man. For, for sure. sure, for sure. Uh, but let me ask you a couple of lightning questions before we wrap up and you tell us how we can find you. First one is, what is one thing that you know now or you have learned in your life that you wish you knew back when you were 18? Internal dialogue is not actuality. There you go. It's the one single most powerful thing because in that, everything else is possible. That has to happen first. It has to happen first because as long as you're tied into what your, what your self-talk is, like so many of us are, like what I, you know, I was experiencing everything from the outside, processing it through my internal dialogue and then responding, right? Neuro-linguistic programming at its core, right? And until I understood that that was not actuality, that that's just some system, nothing else after that was possible. Like that had to happen first. So if I could go back to my younger self at 18, I would do that. And I would probably, I would probably tell myself like, it's okay. uh, Because I, I, uh, I created a lot of self abusive patterns during those times because I'm, you know, I, I never fit in and I never felt like I was good enough. And this is, this is the story I was telling myself from the outside coming in. And that's what the internal dialogue was. So it's, Disconnected from the internal dialogue is one thing, but the second thing is what it was I was actually saying to myself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, that's like the that's like the uh, the gateway, the entrance ticket, the, t- the the admission ticket is getting over the fact that your story is just a story. It's not the story necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that your greatest pain. I mean, and this is this is one of the most profound things that I learned from 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 Tony Robbins was. Uh, you know, your greatest pain is most likely your, your, your biggest strength. It's most likely your power. And, and if, you, if you look there, you could find it. And that was the first time I really, really connected into the fact that that whole, all those years of just tremendous amounts of suffering and, and tough things, look at it and say, wow, now I could connect that with this whole thing of wanting to give. And it's super authentic and it lights me up. Like, bam, it all came together, right? Yeah, that's a great one, man. I wish I could have heard that from you when I was 18 as well. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Let me ask you one more. Uh, what, in your opinion, is the most important value to have as a man? If you had to break it down to one. Um, the first thing that came into my head, and I'm second guessing it, but the first thing that came to my head is integrity. Hmm. Yeah. And why? Why integrity? Because I feel like if you peel back a lot of what people suffer from and a lot of the problems and challenges we have, often if you peel it way back, it starts with a level of, of, of not having integrity in people, you know, back to the communication thing, you know, um, you know, being uncompromisingly forthright, you know, like I, I could say to you, like, this has not worked for me and we can build from that. Even if building means going our separate ways, right. But it's clean as opposed to not having that integrity and that willingness to be straightforward and to say it like it is, I feel like so much suffering comes from that. It's so fucking avoidable, man. Mm. So yeah. avoidable. And I feel like as men, this is, you know, I kind of feel like it's, a, it's kind of, a, I, I take it as our job. That's how I take it. I'm not saying it's anybody else's job, but I feel like that's our job. Like start, start being a man of our word, right? Like I like that. <laughs> that really works for me. Man of your word. Be a fucking man of your word. If you say it, mean it. And if it changes, say it. Yeah. Say it. It's okay. It's changed for me. 
Yeah, man. I, lo- I love it, we man. We have this whole thing Integrity. like we're afraid to say it's changed now, right? So we so people get slippery. <laughs> I know it, man. I, I've been there before. Uh, integrity is the value for me too. And for the same reasons, to be your word and to honor your word, you're constantly teaching people around you what to expect from you. And so I think that's a really important one, um, especially if we take on the role of provider and protector as men to let people know that what we say we're going to do really means what we are going to do and what they can count on is a big deal. So, right. All right, man, let's wrap it up here with how can people find you? What are the socials? Where, where do you want us to go look for you so we can support you and work with you? The website is integrated-man.com. Facebook is the same. Personal Facebook is Drake Reno. Pretty simple stuff. Um, yeah, that's it. Any, any opportunities coming up to work with you? you? Got any exciting, anything exciting? I saw there's a retreat coming up, right? Well, there, there is, it's still kind of in the works. I, I think what's happening with the retreat thing, like I keep trying to get, not trying, but it, it kind of is happening where it's, okay, I'm going to bring a group there, right? And then the logistics of that becomes a push. And as soon as it becomes a push, I kind of go in the retreat because it's medicine and I can't push, man. I can't bicep my way into it. <laughs> so I think I think the direction it's starting to go, which really feels right for me, is I've got certain people who have contacted me and said, listen, I really want to go on this journey with you. Bring me back. Let's go back through the same healers, the same medicine, same places. And I don't necessarily need a group. So I think the way uh, it's going to start working is, is I'm going to be like kind of a, a private guide to people who want to take that journey because it's very much for me as well. You know, I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not facilitating, I'm not serving medicine. So when we go, I'm sitting next to you <laughs> doing my work right there. Right. So I think the way that's going to work is really a guide. And, and as far as like the coaching work, I really have narrowed it down. Thank God this year has, has gone down to what I've been working a long time to do, which is just a couple of really key clients each month. I think you could see on my giant whiteboard behind uh, July, I've got a great doctor and a guy who uh, runs a, a green energy company. And then in August, um, I start with Mercer County College doing a communications course. And then that's it. So I basically, I look for, for people I really, you know, high performers who I really have that chemistry with. And I take them on as clients and I work with them usually, you know, a couple of months at a time. And then um, I'd like to maybe do two to three retreats back to, to, to Peru per year to do some medicine work, but it doesn't even need to be in Peru. It's basically wherever the medicine brings me. I'm really still very much in surrender when it comes to medicine. You know, I don't want to, that's just what feels right for me. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the medicine you got from your story, right? Is surrender. So that's right. Well, uh, we'll direct everybody to integrated-man.com so they can track you down and figure out how to work with you. Drake, my man, thank you for bringing the East coast out of me for an hour. It was <laughs> a pleasure. Uh, having this dialogue with you, man, uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, I really appreciate what you're doing in the world and I uh, look forward to connecting with you more. My man. Same with you, Jetty. Keep up the good work, man. You're beautiful and what you're doing is beautiful. And uh, I really would love to be able to be a part of that project that you're doing with the kids out there. It's a long, long, long time dream of mine to work with children. And I just haven't quite found that, that one space yet. When I saw that, like I lit up and good, God bless you. It's beautiful. Right on, man. All right, cool. We'll connect about that. And uh, we'll definitely have you on again sometime soon. Yeah. Thanks, brother. This conversation really lit me up from the inside out. Like I said at the beginning, when I bring on the East Coasters, especially my New York, New Jersey crew, 
it lights up a whole different element of my character and my being. So on a, just a personal reflection level, it felt really good to speak to a brother on the East Coast who was born and raised in the same culture, the same background and communities that I was raised in, and seeing that he's found a similar path to his truth and to his way of being of service to men, to healing this culture of masculinity and infusing it with some of these modern technologies and ancient rituals. When we talk about plant-based healing medicines and we talk about neuro-linguistic programming, language and linguistics, all of these amazing growth and development tools that some of you guys may not be familiar with. And if you're not, I encourage you to lean in a little bit more. If you'd like to know more, feel free to reach out to me. I'm, I'm always open to receive questions. Hit me up on Facebook Messenger. Send me an email, jettyazuma at gmail.com. I'm here for you guys. I'm here for you guys. I promise you, I want to see every one of you winning in your life. Whatever that means, whatever that definition of success and winning and thriving is to you, I want you to have that. So make sure you check out the show notes for links and resources over at therisingmanpodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast when you get a chance. And please, please, please leave a review. I'm so grateful for all of the reviews that have been pouring in because they go a long way towards encouraging another man to pick up the rising man podcast and listen to it for the very first time you never know what your review will do for a man who reads it says to himself oh it sounds like it worked for this guy let me check it out and that's the beginning that's just the beginning of his journey so make sure you subscribe leave a review so that you're not helping just the rising man podcast but also other rising men out there who are waiting for their ticket into the game all right Join the Rising Man Facebook community if you have not already, facebook.com slash groups slash The Rising Man. Like I said, this is where the conversations are popping off. This is where we're really starting to explore and examine some of these topics, not on a theoretical level, but on a very real experiential level, like what is happening in your life, in my life? How can I relate to your story? It's amazing to see the communication and the dialogues that are happening between men all across the globe, all across the globe on multiple continents all at the same time. So make sure you jump in, join the Rising Man Facebook group, invite a couple of brothers and men in your life who you think would benefit from being in that space as well. I really appreciate all of the support you guys are giving me over there. Hit us up on Instagram at the Rising Man Pod and at Jetty Azuma. That's my personal Instagram. Shout outs to Sean Offenbach making these episodes pop every single week. Straight from my computer, my microphone to your ears. He's the one who's bridging the gap and making it happen. Sean Offenbach over at Infinite Melodics. That's at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-X on Instagram. Sean, I appreciate everything you're doing, my brother. And as we wrap up this episode, I want all of you to really think about what is the next level for you? Everybody has a next level, but what is the next level for you? Think about that. And until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.